All right. This morning we are starting a three-part series um, on hope and healing, or called Hope and Healing. And uh, this is a series that I'm really excited to do uh, with us, and uh, uh, one that I think uh, you have to be pretty blind or out of it uh, to not be able to see in this world, uh, even in our community, of some of the hopelessness that's out there and some of the destruction and some of the despair that people are experiencing. So I think that this series is going to really speak into something that for many of us is a reality. Uh, for many of us, this isn't something we're hearing about. This isn't just something that is out there somewhere. Um, but when we think of hope and healing and we think of some of the, the pain that we're going through or the pain that the world's going through, I think a lot of us are going to be able to say, I identify. I can relate to that problem. What would maybe be an approach, I should say, not necessarily an answer, but what would be an approach for whether you're dealing with this or whether you're dealing with this, whether you're, you're struggling with an addiction, whether you're struggling with mental health, whether you're struggling with you know, some other behavioral issue or whatever it may be, whether you have a history where someone has hurt you and you're, you're figuring out how to process what someone did to you. None of this was your fault, but at the same time you feel and you know that you're the one left carrying the burden of all of that. So it's going to be heavy, and uh, I assume that you expect that. But I want you to understand right from the get-go is that we are doing this series, not just so that we can stir this you know, heavy topic, but we are doing this series because we absolutely believe that there is hope and that there is healing. Many, many, many of us in this room have experienced it personally, and some of us may be here this morning in absolute need of it in our own lives. And so as we go through this, you're going to have to allow me to go really deep in some of these things. And even today, we're going to start right off at the, what I would believe is at the very base of absolute all pain in the world. And so if you came here and you're like, oh good, I'm hoping we're going to talk about marital issues because that's where I'm right now. I hope we talk about teenagers because man, I need to know what to do with my teenager. I hope we talk about how to bring someone back to Christ who's walked away from Christ. All of those are important, but we're not going to necessarily focus on those particular things. What we want to do this morning is go beneath all of that and say, is there something that we can focus our attention on and that if we find hope and healing, and if we find our way through those things, and then out of that, we will then also find answers for some of these other things. When God had finished making the earth, if you're a believer or if you know your Bible, if you're not, just bear with me. When God had finished making the heavens and the earth, um, he looked at it, and this had been day up to five days, and he looked at it, and he said, it's good. And he saw all that he had made, and, and he, was, he was impressed with himself, and he looked at it. And then God made mankind. Sorry, i got to make a job here. People kind. Um, had to, had to, had to. All right, back to mankind. When God had made mankind, um, he, he looked at that. Now look at what he said. He says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. He looked at you and I, and he saw what he had made with his own hands in his own image. It wasn't just good. 
It wasn't like the stars and how amazing. It wasn't just the, 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 you know, the sea and all the animals in it and how incredible that is. It wasn't just the different seasons and how remarkable those things are. And so often we are so impressed when seasons change and when spring comes and everything was dead and now everything's alive again. And we're so impressed. We're like, man, the beauty of that. You've been to different parts. You've traveled and you've looked at nature and you've been so impressed. God saw all that. And he said it was good. But he looked at you, and he looked at me, he looked at mankind, and he said, this, this is very good. We have to start there. You are good. You are very good. And your heavenly Father created you, and he set you apart. You and I, we are the only ones that were created in his image. Everything was perfect. Everything was perfect. So what went wrong. If everything was so good and if everything, we were very good, then what went so wrong? How did we go from good to very good to death, murder, mental health issues, sexual abuse, genocide, pornography, human trafficking, divorce, loneliness, neglect, obesity, cancer, and on and on and on we could go. How did we go from very good to those things? The answer is what we want to talk about this morning is one little word, sin. Whether directly or indirectly, sin is responsible for all the pain in the world. Hear me very carefully before you shut out. I'm not talking that if you're struggling with something today, that it's your sin. We're going to cover that. So don't shut me down right away and say, oh, you know, now you're saying I've done something and therefore I'm struggling with this. That's not where we're going with this. But at the same time, at the very surface of all the pain in this world is the fact that there is sin in the world. Pain and hopelessness was never in the initial plan. It was never part of the Initial creation. God is the giver of life. Sin takes life. Sin destroys. Sin causes death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, that's a pretty heavy introduction, and that was my introduction. But that is where I want us to begin with. Because I think it's so important that we start with that as a focus. So I want us this morning to focus on two simple things. Number one is what I've already introduced, and that is what has caused all of the problems in this world, and that's sin. We're going to unpack that some more. Then, obviously, the next question that we have to ask, or the second thing we want to then look at, and that is this. Then what is the source? What is the source, then, for hope and healing. If sin is responsible for all the pain in the world, then what can we turn to for hope and healing? Now, I think sin is often overlooked when we consider the pain and hopelessness that's in this world. And like I said already, I want to be very clear. I am not implying that the individual sin is directly responsible for your personal pain. I don't want anybody going, oh, I'm struggling with a health issue. It must be because of my sin. We are talking about sin in general. 
So what do we mean when we think about sin? When we talk about sin, what definition should we be working with? Millard, Millard Erickson defines it this way, and for me, this is one of the simpler ways of understanding it. He says this, sin is any lack of conformity, active or passive, to the moral law of God. This may be a matter of act, thought, or inner disposition. So sin produced an immediate transformation in the relationship that Adam and Eve had with God. Within seconds, within that very moment of Adam and Eve disobeying God, sin immediately had a transformational impact on that relationship. Before they sinned, before there was sin in their lives, they walked and talked with God. However, all of that changed because they violated the trust and the command of God. It was not God who changed. It was Adam and Eve who changed. When we downplay the impact of sin, whether our own sin or sin in general, we overlook or we become disillusioned about the impact that sin has on our own lives. If, if you're the individual who says, I know I'm not supposed to be doing this, but you know, I haven't seen anything negative happen yet, and you know, I haven't been struck by lightning or whatever it may be, we are disillusioned about the impact that sin has on our lives. And so that's why I want us to, this morning to really focus on the fact that sin is responsible for all of the pain that is in this world, whether it's our individual sin or whether it's just sin in general. Sin produces guilt. It causes punishment. It brings death, both physical and spiritual. It enslaves us. It skews reality. It makes us self-centered and restless. We reject authority. And again, we could go on and on and on about what sin all does in our lives. Sin is not limited to an isolated group of people. Sin isn't even part of the majority of people. Sin is in every human being. Without exception, all are sinners. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So if every person is a sinner, and seeing how sin has an impact on people, you know, the thing that we must ask ourselves then, to what end? So what then is the impact? What is, what is then the result of sin? If every single person is a, is a sinner, and, and we've seen some of the negative things that sin does, to what end? What happens if we continue to stay in our sin? The answer to that is that sin leads to total depravity. Which means that sin affects the entire person. That our, even our good acts are not done entirely out of love for God. And that we are completely unable to remove ourselves from this sinful condition. So sin ultimately leads to one place, and that is to death. Sin is like a disease that eats away and destroys. It is, any, is it any wonder then that there is so much hopelessness and so much pain in the world that we live in because so often sin is glorified. Sin is almost relished. It is almost celebrated. So this is what sin does, and it must be addressed. Now, if you're thinking, that seems a little simplistic. 
You know, like that seems a little simplistic, and I would agree with you. Because let me, let me give you an example. If I have a couple that comes to me and says, you know, we're dealing with some marital issues, and my first answer to them is, it's just a sin issue, next, you would look at me and say, well, that is way too simplistic. So if all you're saying this morning is, well, if we have problems in our lives, it's a sin issue, and that's it, and, you know, it's going to ultimately lead to destruction, that is not what we are saying this morning. However, we need to understand that as a result of sin, and because sin is in our lives, that's going to mean that there are maybe a number of other things that are now working in us. For example, going back to this couple, if this couple comes in and says, we're having some marital issues, we're having some struggles, and we may very quickly discover that the reason for their struggles isn't just, oh, it's sin, it's that they don't have any tools for communication. Their communication is extremely weak or very destructive. And so those things need to also be addressed in their lives. However, what you will discover is that at the core of even their communication issues, you will see that it's most likely, or it is in fact, the effect of sin on their communication or their problems. Let me explain it this way. Let's say a couple comes and they're deeply struggling with communication. They seem to speak past each other. Their body language communicates frustration and anger. Now they can change their behavior. They can work really hard at just changing the behavior. But if they don't go beyond that, something else will set them off, and they'll be right back to where they started, just around something different. But if this same couple would recognize that some of their behavior is because they are selfish, because they are impatient, or maybe they've held resentment towards one another for a long time. Maybe there's unaddressed sin in their lives. This will do much more than just change their behavior. Now suddenly they are addressing what's at the heart of that behavior. Let me go even a step further. Same couple. Same couple is having another tension, having another argument, having some more strife. There's more communication issues or whatever it may be. What if this same couple at that moment would recognize this is Satan working against us. This is Satan trying to destroy us. This is Satan trying to get between us. And because the couple recognizes that maybe it's because sin overall is at work in their lives or, or sin is working against them, this couple says, here's what's going on. It's not just between you and I. There's an outside force that's interfering here. Let's us, at this very moment, begin to pray together and ask God to stand in our defense. That's what we're talking about when we say that sin is at the core of all of our pain and our struggles. It may be your individual sin. And for some of us, it may just be sin. Satan hates love. He hates unity. He hates compassion. He doesn't know what any of those things are. And he stands against them. And so sometimes when we're in those moments of tension, we need to just pause at that moment and say, this is the work of sin. Not my sin, not your sin. This is just sin. And when we recognize that, and when we don't neglect that, we can come together as a community, as individuals, as couples, as families, and we can pray. And now we are dealing with the very source of the struggle. Are you following me? Because this is something I think that we need to have an awareness of. And again, we're not simply now saying, oh, so we'll pray and everything is great. You may, you may need to go for counseling. 
You may need to go see a doctor. You may need to take some medication. You may need to see a therapist. You may need to change your behavior. You may need to bring a crowd of friends around you that are going to support you. You may need to change your lifestyle completely. But all of that is part of the fact that you are dealing with the sin issue. And as a result of that, it exposes some of the other areas of your lives that also need adjustment. So I would argue that too often, sin, whether individual or sin in general, is overlooked entirely. And all we do is focus on the surface issues. Ephesians chapter 10, sorry, chapter 6 verse 10 says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So when we consider hope and healing, we must be willing to address the topic of sin. I understand that that's not fun. But we can't simply say, we're going to try to address the hopelessness and the pain and whatever may be going on in your life and leave this area completely alone. However, we can't just stop there. Depending on what you're going through, like I said, you may need to also go see some other sources for help. So let's now, though, shift our focus to the second part of the service. What then is the source for our hope and healing? If sin is the cause of all that we struggle with, if sin is the cause of all the darkness, if sin is the cause of all the pain in the world, whether we are directly involved in sin or indirectly, what then is the source for sin. How do we find hope in healing? Because sin is at the heart of all the pain and despair, we must take all of our sin to the one who overcame sin. It's the only answer I can give you. There is only one who overcame death in sin, and his name is Jesus. And if you're a church person, you knew that answer. And if you're a non-church person, you may have heard that answer. But I want you to understand whether you are regular here or whether this is your first time or whether you've only been here a few times, you need to understand the weight of that answer because that's the only thing that can save us is Jesus. If you are a person of faith, it will not surprise, to, uh, you know, it will not surprise you to hear that we believe or that I believe that God, through his son Jesus, is the source for all the pain and all of the hopelessness in this world, that he is the only one that can heal us. The natural question then is, then why does God allow this to happen? Have any of you been asked that before? Then why does God allow pain? Why does God allow suffering? Why does God allow evil? I want to give you just two ways of looking at that. Number one, not ways of looking at it, I want to just give you two approaches. Number one is it is so much easier to answer the question than to understand the answer. With me? No. It is so much easier to answer the question than to understand the answer. Let me give you the answer and then you'll understand why it's hard to understand the answer. All right, here we go. 
The answer to that question is very simple. God gave us free will, and in his sovereignty, he understood that if he was to give us the freedom to choose him, he could not force us to obey him. In other words, we chose to sin, and so he, in his sovereign will, allowed it to happen so that we would then also choose him. See how easy that answer is. Now try to understand that. Try to understand that when your life is falling apart. Well, we love free will when we can choose to come here. We don't love free will when someone's hurting us. We love free will when we're making wise decisions. We do not love free will when we have no idea what decision to make. And we could go on and on and on. But God decided that he wanted us to choose him. And so out of that comes the pain that goes along with allowing humanity to decide what they want to do. But every single person in this room and every single person in this world is under grace. And because of the grace of God, there are maybe people in need, there are maybe people who don't have the cognitive ability to understand or whatever it may be. There is a grace for them but you and I are responsible for the decisions that we are able to make so that we would choose God. I want to read to you a portion from a book that I know all of you meditate on pretty much every night, and that's Lamentations. Lamentations. Listen to how this writer, and some people think it may have been Jeremiah, but listen to how this writer explains their situation in the midst of their pain. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 17. I have been deprived of peace I have forgotten what prosperity is. Some translations say happiness. So I say, my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness in the gale. I will remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I called, or this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassion never fails. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to those who seek him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. Let him sit alone in silence. For the Lord has laid it on him. Let him bury his face in the dust. There may yet be hope. Now see why you probably don't go to sleep reading that every night? It's kind of a difficult thing to look at. But I want to look at this really quick. Because in these verses, there's a range of hope that you may need to know about this morning. There's hope lost. There's hope found. And then there's hope questioned. One thing we can learn here is that the strength of your hope may vary as you walk through the journey of grief and pain. You may have times where you're like, I hope, I will hope, I have lost hope, and there may yet be hope. All of these, three, these four were said by the exact same person as they journeyed through their pain. If you've ever studied the book of Lamentations, you have to recognize it is a surprise that there is any hope in this book at all. These 
people have endured the horrors of starvation in their, until their city collapsed. They've lost their homes. Many of their children have died. Grown sons and daughters have been deported and their parents are left grieving in the pain of their loss. Many of the women have been horribly, horribly abused. And now as slaves of an occupying army, they have to find a way to build life in the ruins of their once great city. And as I said before, the biggest shock of the whole book is that the author would even speak of hope. So if these people, in the midst of their despair, are able to look at God and say, hope can still be had, you and I must believe that as well. Psalm 103 says, He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from him. As a father has compassion for on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. When Jesus was in Nazareth, he opened the scroll in the synagogue. And these are the words that he read about himself. In Luke chapter 4, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Jesus reading this. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's what Jesus proclaimed about himself, that that's what he had come here to do. Listen to the uh, Apostle Peter describe what Jesus did in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. He says, For Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteousness for the unrighteous, to bring to you God, to bring you to God. He has put to death in the body what was made alive in the spirit. Jesus died, but he rose so that you and I could have victory over sin. Jesus defeated sin and death. Therefore, we must turn ourselves completely to him and surrender ourselves completely to him. But let me be very clear. Christians also suffer. Christians also suffer. But it, in us is a hope for eternity. And so do not for one second hear me as a preacher say to you, give your life to Christ and your life will be free of pain. What I'm giving you instead and what Scripture is giving you and what Jesus gives you is that give your life to Jesus so that you can have an eternal hope. Imagine living on this earth in hopelessness, not only for here on this earth, but for eternity. And so when you give your life to Christ, you are taking up the hope that he offers you in your current situations, but also he is giving you hope for eternity, to spend your eternal life with him, where there is no more sickness and pain and suffering and disease and death. Second Chronicles Chapter 7, God gives us this promise. 
He says, if, if, it depends on us. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. You have two beautiful promises. Number one, hope and healing, if we pray. Number two, a listening ear. A listening ear. He's going to be attentive to you this morning. If you need hope and healing, our Heavenly Father is saying, my ears are open. I'm willing, I'm willing, to, I'm willing to get down and listen. What is it, son? What is it, daughter? What's going on? What are you experiencing? Talk to me. I'm all ears. I'm all ears. I can bring you healing. Now, I want to tug at your emotional strings a little bit, your heart strings this morning a little bit, and I want to tell you a little story, and then we'll watch a short video, and I'll just tell you right now, ladies, get your Kleenex out, and men like me, get your Kleenex out, because I think you'll cry a little bit. And if not, then good. Enjoy your hunting trip. Um, there's a man by the name of Derek Redman, and he was an amazing runner. But as this illustration says, he was an even greater finisher. And some of you may already have heard this and seen this, but bear with me. Derek will forever be given, uh, remembered for the way that he performed at the 400 meters men's semifinal during the Olympics in 1992 in Barcelona, Spain. Derek was favored to not only qualify for the main, but he was favored to win um, either or, or win a medal. They were sure that he was going to win one of the uh, medals. After years and years of training, persistence, self-discipline, Derek was competing on the world stage. This was his dream. This was what everything he had ever wanted, and now it was a reality. Here he was at the Olympics. Halfway through the 400-meter race, Derek pulled a hamstring, and he collapsed on the, on the track. Wrenching in pain, he watched as his dream faded, and the other runners ran away to the finish line. The chances of winning were done. The chance of standing on that platform and getting a medal, long over. And so though winning was out of the question, here's what you need to understand, finishing wasn't. So as the medical crew arrive, and you'll see this, they arrive and they want to take him off the track, Derek gets up. He gets up and he starts again. But as you can see in his face, the pain is almost too much to bear. So he he does his best. He does his absolute best. In a stadium packed with 65,000 fans and millions more viewing, Derek got to his feet, and in spite of the agony, he begins to hobble towards the finish line. He was determined to finish this race. It's at this point, and you'll see it in the video, that a large man from the stands makes his way onto the track. It was Derek's father, Tim. 
He pushes his way past the security guards, and he's determined that no one was going to stop him and that he was going to be by his son's side as his son finishes the race. Take a look at the video. try to hold it together. But I wonder if some of us here this morning feel a little bit like Derek. We're down, we're out. The pain, the hopelessness is so great. Come on, your dream is dashed. What was supposed to be your greatest moment is now a nightmare. I don't know if you caught it, and I, I sense you did because some of you laughed, but I love how Derek's dad has his arm around his son. And then when those officials come, don't read lips, but I think he's like, please go away. Please move on. I, I love that. He, he has his son. Literally, he's holding his son, and when the officials come for whatever reason, and I'm sure their intentions were good, his dad stepped in and said, get lost, get lost. He's finishing this race. And you see right at the end, his son points. He's like, get me back in my lane so I can qualify as a finisher. 
And so he goes back into lane five and he finishes the race. So my question for you and I here is that I hope that you get a picture of your heavenly father. Of your heavenly father with, your, with his arms around you and when distractions come and when something wants to interfere, it's your heavenly father saying, get lost, get lost. Now you may be down, but you've chosen to get up. You may never have expected the pain and the agony that you're experiencing to ever be part of your life, but you've got yourself up. You're here this morning, and you recognize that sin is a factor in the world, and that sin would love for you to stay down, but you got yourself up. And this morning, your Heavenly Father has His arms around you, and you can finish the race. So I want to these guys are going to sing and we're going to figure out how that's all going to work with the timing and all that. But I want to give you an opportunity this morning as a symbolic way of saying, I got up. I got up. As a symbolic way of showing yourself that, showing each other that, and showing God. I got up and would you walk with me, God? I'm going to invite you just to stand up and come to the front. You can do that right now. Just as a symbolic way of saying, I am getting up. Come on. Don't, don't just sit there and pretend it's not something that you need to do in your life. Maybe you need prayer. Maybe you're dealing with pain. And at this moment you're saying, I'm getting up to show that I want to finish this race. Come on. This is for you as a way of showing yourself the strength that you have. That you're not willing to stay where you are. You're not willing to be defeated. You're not willing to say, it's hopeless for me. The pain is too great. I can't overcome this. No, you're willing to get up and show the world, yourself, and God, I'm getting up and I'm going to walk with you knowing that my Heavenly Father has His arms around you. So let's sing a little bit and then we will close up.